Matthew 14, verse 13, is going to be available here on the screen. It says this, when Jesus heard what had happened, he withdrew by boat privately to a solitary place. Hearing of this, the crowds followed him on foot from the towns. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them and healed their sick. As evening approached, the disciples came to him and said, this is a remote place and it's already getting late. Send the crowds away so they can go to the villages and buy themselves some food. And then Jesus replied, he says, they don't need to go away. You give them something to eat. And look at verse 17, he says, this is what they say. Well, we have here only five loaves of bread and two fish, they answered. Then Jesus says, bring them here to me, he said. And he directed the people to sit down on the grass, on the grass, taking the five loaves and the two fish, looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves. Then he gave them to the disciples, and the disciples gave them to the people. Come on, let's pray. Father, we're grateful, we're thankful for this moment. God, thank you for the time and space, Lord, that we have as you called us here today. Thank you for this moment. Lord, this is about you. Jesus, you're worthy. And we just ask for the next few moments that you would open up our eyes, allow us to see what it is that you're showing us. Lord, open up our ears, allow us to hear what it is that you're speaking to us. God, we want to hear from you. And so as your servants in this place this morning, we say this, speak, Lord, for we're listening. In Jesus' name, everybody said, come on, come on, everybody said, amen, amen. amen. You may be seated. I don't know what I was thinking and buttoning this thing up, so y'all excuse me. (laughs) There we go. Listen, (laughs) when problems exist in the world, God uses people to bring about a solution. When problems exist in the world, God uses people to bring a solution. And here's the cool thing within the context of how he uses people. He uses people regardless of their story. He uses people regardless of their past. Some of us should shout right there. But he uses people also regardless of what others think about them. When God sees a problem in the world, he uses people to bring about a solution, and he uses people despite their story, despite their past, despite what other people think, despite other people's opinion. My point is this, he uses people. And scripture is filled with so many examples of God using people to bring about a solution. Look at Abram. He kept his promise to him and used him in his old age and brought him a son. God used him. Look at Noah. He got drunk, but guess what? God used him. Look at Jonah. He ran from God, but yet God used him. Look at Gideon. He was insecure, but yet God used him. Look at David. He wasn't even considered by his own father. He was simply a teenager, but yet God used him. What about Rahab? She was a prostitute, but God used her. Miriam was a gossiper, but yet God used her. Paul, a murderer, come on, but yet God used them. When God sees a problem in the world, he uses people to bring about a solution. Now, you may say, well, wait a minute. 
What are you saying through all this? Are you saying that God excuses bad behavior? Absolutely not, no. But it's to show what God can do in and through a submitted life to him. That he could redeem anything and he could redeem anyone. And here's where we get excited because we can look at our story, we can look at our past, we can look at our struggles, we can look at what we've been through, but yet it does not disqualify us from being used by God. So when he looks across the landscape of the world, he says, yes, you with your flaws, I want to use you. But we have to submit our life and our will to him. So, yes, with all of our flaws, with all of our issues, with all of our struggles, God can use us. Why? Because when God sees a problem in the world, he wants to use people to bring about a solution. Look at the children of Israel. When they were enslaved in Egypt, when the relationship they had there went south and they were now in bondage, his people cried out. And so God, he hears this problem. His people are crying out to be delivered. So what did God do? God raised up Moses to lead them out of Egypt. Hear me. There, there is and there continues to be a cry in the Huntsville, Madison area for a community of people that look like the Becoming Church. So what did God do? He raised up the Becoming Church to be an answer to a problem that was here. Does that mean that there were no other people or solutions that could solve the problem? No, God says there's a specific group of people, there's specific people that have a need that are crying out. And so the expression of my heart needs to be raised up as the becoming church to meet that need. And that's what we're here we're not here to just show up on Sunday, smile, kind of look good, take a couple photos at the, at the backdrop. But, man, we're here to serve, to, to, to be mobilized. You know, I've heard it said that the local church is the hope of the world, but it's the local church that's mobilized that's the hope of the world. Not just coming in here and sitting down on our blessed assurance, but it's us getting up, getting out, and being the hands and feet of Jesus. And can I tell you, as the Becoming Church, that's what we do. That's who we are. In fact, listen, I'll say it boldly this way. That's why we need you on a serve team. It's quiet. <laughs> but that's why we need you serving. That's why we need you a part of this because this is not about what one can do, but this is about what we can do. Yesterday, which was amazing, you know, we had a mobile uh, food pantry partner uh, with another church uh, here in the area, Refuge Church, and together, uh, we were able to provide 1,500 individuals with a week's worth of food. Come on now. That's what, that's what it looks like to be a solution. Now, you, now listen, as, as in doing that, it's not saying, hey, that we solve the needs of those people that, for whatever reason, they led them to, to line up um, in, in, the, in the drive yesterday. But what we did was show them that, hey, Jesus sees you, that the people who follow him see you. And we know this week's worth of food is not going to solve whatever issue you may be walking through and dealing with, but it's to point you to hope. It's to point you to the one who can do all things and who can provide in every way. We are to be a solution. And can I tell you this morning? But what we've been able to do as a church community, this is just the beginning. 
Like this, this, this is just the tip of the iceberg. There's so much more for us to do. The work has only just started. And that's what we're coming together around today through the Bricklayers offering. It's to ask this question, how can we continue to come together to go above and beyond to accelerate the vision of the becoming church? How can we as a community continue to come together to make a difference in the lives of the people of this city and beyond? Here's my prayer. I I, I want it to be this, that if the becoming church no no longer existed, that there, there would be a hole, that we would be missed. Today, if, if we weren't here, like some of us would be like, you know, I miss it, but I don't know if the city would. And so that means there's still more work to do, that there's still more people to serve. There's still more people that we can point to Jesus. There's still more people to care about. So the work has just started. This is only the beginning. Now, we can hear that and we can say, yo, that's a lot of vision. You're talking about the city and beyond. You're talking about the, the, the city has to be impacted in a way that if we're not here, it's noticed. How, how, how are we going to do that? How can we make that happen? Well, the answer is in the title of today's conversation, and is this. All we have is all we need. All we have is all we need. To make a difference in this city and beyond, guess what? Look around and see, hey, all that we have in here, this is all that we need. And so if you take your notes, you can title today's conversation, All We Have is All We Need. And to give a little context as we jump into this text, John the Baptist here, he was just murdered by Herod. Herod got himself caught up at a party. He was doing a little bit too much, and he made an oath that he had to keep. You know, you ever been in one of those situations where you say something, and then they call you on it, and you're like, man, I didn't mean that. So this is what happened to Herod here in this moment. So John the Baptist in prison, well, now he's, he's murdered. And so this news gets to Jesus, and it led him to uh, withdraw to a solitary place. And you may wonder, well, why? Why did Jesus respond in this way? Well, John the Baptist was significant to him. You know, John the Baptist was, he and Jesus, they were cousins. Their, their mothers were, were, were pregnant at the same time. In fact, Scripture tells us uh, when Elizabeth, John's mother, was in the presence of, of Mary, the mother of Jesus, he, he leapt inside his mother's womb. John did. So it was significance. There was a, a connection there. But it's something that we see next, that even when Jesus is feeling this pain and he's trying to process this moment, look what happens in Matthew 14, verse 14. It says this, he sees this large crowd, and in his moment of disappointment, he still had compassion on them, and he healed their sick. This is significant because he's showing us that even in the middle of we say, well, you talk about meet needs of others. Well, I, I got needs. You, you're saying serve here. Well, well listen, there are things that, that, that Jesus is saying even in the middle of your disappointment, of your hurt, of your pain, we are called to still have compassion on people. That we're still to look at people through the lens of how can I express the love of Christ to you? How can I serve you? How can I point you to hope? But at the same, this is why it's so important for all of us to do this. Because if I'm living that way towards you, then someone else is living that way towards me. And so nothing is missing. Nothing is going without. We're all loving and serving in community together. That's why it's important to be connected. 
That's why it's important to be uh, in community. You know, right now, since 2020, and I get it, and all the reasons people say, well, listen, I, I love Jesus, but, but keep his church. Well, that's not the model, right? But that's not the model. Jesus says, I will build my church, not buildings and structures, but it's a community of people. And so to say, I connect with Jesus, but I don't connect with his church, that's not the model in which Jesus intended. And ultimately, you're going to live isolated on an island. And when life lives, you don't have the brothers and sisters that you're connected to praying for you, believing in you. Because we need to live in community together to have compassion for one another. But this word compassion here, it's much more than what comes to mind when we think of compassion. It's used in a much stronger way than what we think of it. It's, it's much more than sympathy. Here it means to, to literally have one's inner being stirred. It's the, it's the, it's, <laughs> that's a very nice way and clean way to say it of someone's inner beings being stirred are y'all tracking like it's you know if you had to, you got it, if you had to get to the restroom it's it's that <laughs> type of stirring to have one's bowels move I didn't know how else to say it I didn't see enough of this so I'm like I don't know if they're tracking with me <laughs> so it's a deep level of of compassion but it's the type of stirring that says listen I can't sit here while I see a need over there I, I can't sit here while I know that there are people hurting over there. Now, I don't have everything to, to, to bring a solution to the problem, but I've got something. And what I have, I can't sit on it. I've got to get over here and do something about it. It's that type of compassion. That Jesus says, man, my first cousin, he was beheaded. But yet there's these people, there's this need here. They need healing. I, I've got to do something about it. That's the type of compassion that we're called to live with. Now, I kind of alluded to it just now. We may say, well, how can we meet that? Well, I think first we need to understand this. And here's the first observation we're going to make this morning. Is that we have something to give. We have something to to give. Look, look at what Jesus says to them in verse 16. He says, you give them something to eat. Because the disciples, you know, they may be like us. Or you say, no, let's speak for yourself. Okay, fine. They may be like me. Listen, Jesus is getting late. We're in a remote place. Send them on the way so they can get something to eat. But Jesus, instead, he says, no, 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 no. You give them something to eat. And can I tell you, I think a lot of us were like the disciples that oftentimes we can fall victim to this belief that we don't have something to offer, that we can see a need and, and see what we have and look at what we have and, and settle, to, settle into this mindset, well, I don't have enough. And so instead of taking a step, instead of trying to meet that need, we just sit on what we have. Well, guess what? The, the need is never met and it still exists. And I think part of the reason it's because we're looking at this as something that I have to do instead of something that we get to do. So when you look at something alone, yeah, it will look difficult. It will look insurmountable. It will look like, yo, we can't overcome this. But when you look at this as a collective approach, that we're all called to this mission of helping people live closer to God, then it doesn't look as crazy as it looks if I'm taking on this mindset that it's about what 
I can do. Which leads me to say this, we are not called to go alone, but we're called to go together. This is about what we can do together. That's why scripture says where there is unity, the Lord commands a blessing. His blessing is on unity. His blessing is not, because sometimes we can say, well, I'm smart, I'm creative, I know it, I got it, so I'll just do it. And all those things are awesome, but God's blessing is not on that. God's blessing is on where there's unity. So this is not about what one can do, but this is about what we can do. That's why we said a couple weeks ago that if you want to go fast, go alone. But if you want to go further, go together. So we're trying to go together as to becoming church. We're not here to, to, to be an overnight success, but we're here to be significant over time. And when you take that approach, that means it's a slow game. It's a long game. We're trying to play the long game because we don't want to do this alone. We don't want to do this by ourselves. That's why even we, we're partnering with Refuge Church and, and we help feed the community. It's the things that we do on Saturday mornings with Generosity Foundation because this is not about what one can do. But this is about what we can do. And that's what bricklayers is about. It's not about what one can do, but it's about what we can do. Look at 1 Peter 2, verse 5. Do I have that brick over there? Did I forget it? I think I forgot it. I had a brick. It's okay. It's somewhere. Micah, it might be over there. See if you can find it for me. Thank you. But look at 1 Peter 2, 5. It says this. You also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable. See, I knew I had it. Thank you. Let me read that over. First Peter 2, 5. You also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So each and every one of us, we, we're, we're bricks. We, we, we can live our lives as bricks, but, you know, this brick right here, it's, it's fake. It's fake. <laughs> but see, that's my point. If you see someone with a, a single brick, you got some concerns. You have some questions. Because a single brick, that looks like destruction. That looks like someone who's up to no good. That looked like someone like, yo, what kind of plans you got? That looked like someone, you start, you start jumping on the, the neighborhood uh, Facebook group like, hey, somebody walking down the street with a single brick in their hand. Because it's an isolated brick. It's, it's alone. But, but when you see someone who's building a house and there's one brick here and another brick here and another brick there. And so all these, it <laughs> sounds like a nursery kid, so, but... What in the world? In <laughs> a, a choo-choo? What, what is the song? I don't even know. Help me. That doesn't mean anything, so don't get any ideas. Um, a single brick. But when the bricks are together, you see a home that's being built. It's a home in, in, in terms of us, what Scripture saying, a spiritual house. And when you think of a, of a home, the, the, now the, the right context of home, I know we have different ways that we grew up, but, but home is supposed to be a place of, of nurture, a place of protection, 
a place of growth, a place of, of care, a place where you can sit down at the table and, and you, can, you can just spill out the different cares and receive love and concern. You know, that's why when you look at the, the branding of, of the Becoming Church, the logo, there's a house there. Because it's meant to be a home, a place of, of connection and community. That's what happens when there are uh, individual bricks that come together to be a part of the collective. But a brick that's on its own looks like destruction. So Jesus is saying, listen, I'm not asking about what you can do. But this is the power of what we can do. So it's the first thing we got to understand is that we have something to give. Are y'all tracking with me this morning? Here's the next observation. Bring what you have to Jesus. Bring what you have to Jesus. So he goes on to say in verse 17, so they, their response to him was like, well, okay, you said bring what we have, you know, that we have something to give. But look here, we only have five loaves of bread and two fish. And then here's what Jesus says, bring them here to me. Can I tell you, bringing what you have to Jesus is the breeding ground for the miraculous. That when you ignore how much, how little, whatever, and you simply choose to bring what you have to Jesus, it's the breeding ground for the miraculous. You have to ignore the circumstances. You have to ignore the evidence. You have to ignore what is reality. And scripture shows us that, that, that when we bring, when things are brought to Jesus, the miraculous occurs. The lame were brought to Jesus, and they walked. The blind were brought to Jesus, and they could see. The sick were brought to Jesus, and they were healed. The hungry were brought to Jesus, and they were fed. The demon-possessed were brought to Jesus, and they were delivered. Family, when we bring things to Jesus, when we bring our cares, our concerns, that's why he says, cast every care. Some of them know. This one that I choose, no. He says, cast every care to me. Because I care. And when we bring what we have to Jesus, it sets the stage to the miraculous. Can I ask you this question? What is it that you're holding on to this morning that you're not bringing to Jesus? Can I tell you, refusing to bring it to Jesus means you may be getting in the way of your own miracle. Stop holding on to that thing. Stop trying to solve it in your own power, in your own strength. But instead, bring it to Jesus and allow him to do what only he can do. So stop counting. Stop looking. Stop trying to determine and simply bring what you have to Jesus. He's saying don't be concerned about what only you can bring, but instead trust me in only what I can do. But what gets in the way of us bringing what we have to Jesus is often what? Pride. I just, I don't, I don't know if I can do that. How would that look? What would the optics look like? I mean, what would people say? Or maybe it's not proper, maybe it's insecurity. I know I find myself here. I know this would be my story. Maybe it's not insecurity, maybe it's fear. Maybe it's doubt. Can I tell you, maybe it's even disappointment. Because you say, you know what? I have disappointment because of the miracle that didn't happen. Because I heard this before, bring what you have to Jesus. And then I did, but the situation didn't change. So now I'm, I'm sitting in this place of disappointment. And so the words that you're sharing, they don't, they, they don't hit the same like, like, like they should because of the disappointment that I've already experienced. 
Now, let me, let me just say this. What if, what if the miracle wasn't supposed to be in your situation, but it was supposed to be in you and in the fact that you can now see that what God has worked in your life, despite the fact that what you were believing for didn't happen, but yet you still love him, but yet you're still serving, but yet you're still with him, but yet you're still believing. So the situation and the thing that you pray for, you didn't see it. But yet somehow, some way, you're here this morning and you still love him. You still have a heart for him. Maybe, maybe, that, was, maybe that was the miracle. Are you saying what I believed for was supposed to happen just so that I could see? I can't answer those questions. But I know that there are things that God will allow us to experience and go through to, and go through to get us to this end of seeing that he is God and that he is good. That's why he says he can bring a peace that surpasses all human understanding. What we are asking humans to do is bring an understanding that only God can bring. Sometimes we have to settle in stuff that we won't get the answers, but we have to trust God. And who he is and what he wants to get through to us. And maybe that's the miracle. You say, I'm not all the way there. That's okay. Maybe you're a miracle in motion. Just keep going. Just keep trusting. Just keep trying. Just keep asking the questions. You know, lose this idea that maybe you gained growing up that we can't ask God questions. No, we can ask him questions. That's not questioning God. That's not questioning who he is and his power and his ability. That's why Isaiah says, let us reason together. But it's to get us to this end that says, God, I trust you. In fact, you can look at the prophet uh, Habakkuk who, who heard God's plan of bringing deliverance to his people. And he's like, that's the best you can do? But it was through this dialogue and these questions that he saw this revelation like, God, you freed your people before, and so you would do it again. So listen, you may be a miracle in motion. So ask the question. Have the doubt. Just don't stay there and allow God to do what only he can do. Here's my point. Bring what you have to Jesus, and you'll set the stage for the miraculous. That's what I love about bricklayers. This is not about... What amount I can bring. But this is about saying, Lord, through obedience, (laughs) do you realize God can do so much with obedience? Come on. We get so concerned about all the things that we're not supposed to be concerned about. And the only thing that the Lord is asking is, did you obey? Come on. That's where the power happens. That's where the multiplication happens. That's where the breakthrough happens. That's where the doors happen. Because obedience will cause you to do things that other people say, yo, that's not how you do it in this place. That's not how that happens. And you say, that may be true for you, but this is what God is telling me to do. And because you respond in obedience, God will open the door that only he can open. And it'll leave people saying, how did you do that? You say, I don't know. I just obeyed. Come on, does anybody? Anybody want to step into what God has for you through the place of obedience? Come on. That's how it happens. You have to ignore the odds. You have to ignore what all the experts say. The experts are experts in doing it their way. But there is something that supernatural happens through obedience. We're talking about the story of Jesus this month. And you look at this girl, 14, 15 years old, and an angel talking about you about to birth Jesus. 
in the, power, the, the faith that she displayed in her obedience. When the same thing that happened on the other end with John the Baptist, and he died, he had uh, not died, but John the Baptist and his dad, there it is. And he had all these things. He's like, I don't know, I don't know. <clears throat> and, and his mouth was shut for several months until uh, John was born because he didn't trust it. He used to say, I don't see all that. But this girl was like, okay, you know what? I'm going to obey. Yo, Joseph, calm down. I promise you, this is God. I ain't, I ain't been out here living foul. This is, this is the Lord. We're going to name him Jesus. That's, that's what he said. And look at what happened to the world because of obedience. So what would happen if we just simply choose to obey? He says, bring what you have to Jesus. And here's the final observation this morning. Participate in the miracle. So let's understand we have something to give. And what we have, we need to bring it to Jesus. All for this, to participate in the miracle. Matthew 14, 19. Taking the loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and he broke the loaves. Now, I said this last week that the Bible isn't a collection of writings about us, but rather a collection of writings informing us on the character and on the nature of God. And what we see in Scripture is part of his character, expression of his character and his nature and who he is, is that God is a provider. One of his coveted names is that he is Jehovah Jireh, which simply means the, the God who provides. That he says, hey, Abraham, I want you to take your promised son, Isaac, take him up this mountain, and I want you to offer him as a sacrifice to me. Now, and all his, like, okay, this is weird, but, you know, through obedience, he did it. And he walks up to this mountain, and in the moment that he's ready to sacrifice his son to the Lord as an offering, the angel of the Lord appears and says, hold on, don't, don't touch the boy. There's a ram in the bush. And at that moment, that place was where we learned the co- one of the coveted names of God, Jehovah Jireh. He's the God who provides. But here's the thing about God and his provision, his way of providing, is that he provides in ways that supersedes our ability to understand. See, especially a lot of us in the room, in the community that we live in, you may have an analytical mind. And you may say, no, 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 no. This amount of widgets, this is how much this should cost. It's supposed to spit out this when I input this. And God's like, yeah, that's cool with your little engineering, your little analytical mind. But like Paul tells us in his letter to the Corinthians, who are we to give God advice on how to be God? And so he says, just chill and let me do what I do. Chill and watch me do what only I can do. And he provides in ways that supersedes our ability to understand. But we get ourselves in trouble when we rack our minds trying to figure out how God is going to bring the provision. And so we sit there and we say, well, it can't come from here because of that. It can't come from there because of that. It can't come from here because of that. Don't you know that God will provide in ways well, he'll say, oh, they'll say, Peter, how come y'all don't pay the temple tax? And, and, and Jesus says, Peter, go over there, go get that fish out of the water, open its mouth, and there are two coins in the fish's mouth. Now, two coins not just supposed to be in the fish's mouth. But you know what Jesus was showing us? I'll provide in ways that I provide. Come on. Come on. 
This is what I'm trying to get us to understand. It doesn't make sense. And you may feel like you're against the odds. Well, that might just be the best place to be for God to work in ways that only he can work. And this is what he does. He says, Gideon, the Midianites are oppressing my people. And I'm raising you up to bring deliverance to them. Gideon's like, cool, bet. How many soldiers I got? 100,000. Mm, let's bring that down to 10,000. You say, what? Look, I done told you how insecure I am, and I don't even know if I'm the man for the job, and you're going to bring me all the way down to 10,000? But of course he does. He goes out, and they destroy the Midianites. And you look at David. Saul, the king of Israel at that moment, has an entire army at his disposal. And here it is, this giant Goliath is coming out, making these taunts. And not a single soldier wants to face this giant. And here comes this little old teenage boy saying, yo, let me get at him. I got some smooth stones, and I'm only going to use one to take this dude out. And he does it. That don't make sense. You, you do the calculation. You try to make the math math, and it doesn't math. But that's what God does in the way that he provides. He has a history of this. His way of providing isn't always black and white. But you know what it is? It's miraculous. But here's what he does do for us, though. He shows us the blueprint. What do we see here? We see that Jesus, he looks up to heaven, he gives thanks, and he blesses the food. And then the food starts to be passed out. This is two fish and five loaves of bread. Can I ask you this question? I'm going to ask us this question. How many of us, we are missing the miracle because we're too busy complaining about the provision? Because remember, the disciples said, well, it's only five loaves of bread and two fish. And so they just, st they stopped. In that. What, what would have happened if they stopped in that place of complaining? So here's the provision that's there. But they looked at it, and they complained about it. And their complaints, their complaining, could have caused them to miss the miracle. So it's a, it's a question for us to answer this morning. Because there are things that the Lord has provided as provision but we're complaining about it, and we're missing the miracle. Lord, I do not want to go to that job in the morning. But we're missing the fact that he has provided that job that's bringing provision to us and to our family. That's allowing you to live in the, in the house you're in, in the car you drive, in the food that you eat. And so the very thing that we're complaining about is the thing that he's provided. And he says, listen, if you would take your complaining to thanking, you could see the miraculous occur. And maybe there's one thing that I want you to get on this job before I move you to the next. But you're stuck where you're at because you're stuck in a place of complaining, and I can't get you to the next place because you'll just take that same spirit of complaining. You can't be on the sixth job and everybody crazy. Come on now. There has to be a point where we look at ourselves and say, is it my mindset that is off? We've got to get ourselves from complaining to thinking. We can't miss the blessing because we see it as a burden. Because he was like, you were single, and you had all kind of time to mingle. <laughs> and Mr. Wright then showed up at your door, and things done worked out. Y'all that got married, and now all you talk about to your friends is what he don't do. What, do you remember when you ain't had nobody? <laughs> he didn't bless you with a woman. She don't cook, she don't clean like I thought she was. 
And she said, it's a partnership. You clean too. But what, <laughs> it's February, that's February. <laughs> but what we see, we see what's supposed to be a blessing. We see it as a burden. So we have to move our complaining to thanking. And the reason why we got to get here is for this reason. God wants to do something in you so he can do something through you. He wanted to get the disciples away from complaining to thanking, ultimately so that they could participate in the miracle. Because look at verse 19. It says, then he gave them to the disciples, and the disciples gave them to the people. Do you know he could have just passed them out himself? But he says, no, I want to get you from here to here. I want to do something in you so I can do something through you. And now you participate in the miracle. And as they pass the food out, it was not just enough. It was more than enough. And it wasn't just 5,000. It wasn't 5,000 people. It was 5,000 families because they only counted the men in this time, which meant it was believed to be upwards of fifteen to 20,000 people from five loaves of bread and two fish. Why? How does that happen? It's when we understand that we have something. I'm going to ask the whole team if you all would join me. It's when we understand that we have something to give. And whatever that is, we simply need to bring it to Jesus. And understand that the way he provides, it supersedes our ability to understand. And then when we get that understanding, it sets the stage for us to participate in the miracle. Why? Because when there is a problem, God uses people to bring about a solution. And this understanding, this is all I got. Five fish and two loaves of bread. Well, guess what? All I have is all I need. What is the point that I'm getting to us today? For the future of the becoming church, for your life, for the things that God it's put in you, all you have is all you need. St stop trying to calculate it. Stop trying to analyze it. Stop trying to get through all the things. All you have is all you need. 